Hello and welcome to the Village Church Podcast. My name is John and we are glad to have you join us. We work to deliver our most recent preaching content to you as soon as possible, so let's get into God's Word together. If you have a Bible with you this morning, you can turn to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians 6. We'll be there in just a moment. 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 15 says, It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. And in salvation of lost souls, a compelling Christ-created community is born and grows and is called into life with one another. I aim every week as God gives me the opportunity, I aim to make the gospel of Jesus Christ as clear as possible. I know that there are some weeks where it is more clear than others. Paul even would talk about if our gospel is veiled, at times it may seem that the gospel is an underlying tone, but I aim that it always be present, and ever more so, I aim that it would be crystal clear in my preaching, not knowing your hearts. I do not know if you are saved by God's grace through faith in Christ. I know what you say to me if you profess faith, but I do not know your heart. I barely know my own. I trust that God knows every one of them. I aim for the gospel always to be clear, not knowing who may be in the room, but I trust God to do his work as his word goes forward. As we talk from week to week about this compelling Christ-created community, those who are in it and how we're supposed to live with one another, I am every week specifically addressing those who are born again by the Holy Spirit of God and living in relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, those who have, by God's grace, through repentance of sin and faith in Jesus, have been reconciled to God and are saved. Ephesians 3, 11 through 13 makes it clear. If you are not saved by God's grace, if you've not placed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, those verses tell us you are separated from Christ. You are alienated from God's people. You are strangers to God's promises and covenants, and you have no hope and are without God in the world. This is what makes the gospel so urgent in my preaching. I do not want people to be living in those descriptive ways, separated from Christ, alienated from God's people, strangers to God's promises and covenants, and with no hope without God in the world. If that is you this morning, I urge you, as I begin the sermon, to call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. God is infinitely holy. He is not sinful. He is separated from and far above mankind. He created man sinless in the garden, and man sinned. And the Bible says that death came to all men because all sinned. We all stand guilty before God. But the good news is that God sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sin, Corinthians says, according to scripture. To be buried, to rise again on the third day, he has risen, he is in heaven, he is returning to gather his own unto himself. The Bible says that through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as the risen Son of God and belief in your heart that he is alive and is returning, you will be saved. That with the heart you believe 
and with the mouth you confess. And so this morning, as I highlight quickly, God, sinful man, an infinitely holy and sacrificial Lord Jesus Christ, I call you to respond. Who do you say Christ is? Do you believe by faith that Jesus Christ has died for your sins and is risen? Today we will observe the Lord's Supper. Christ's death is directly before us in these elements of bread and juice. His sacrifice for us. The Bible tells us that this observance proclaims his death until he comes. And what do we proclaim in his death? That there is a sacrifice for sin. You are not bound to live only as sinful man and die in that regard. God sent his son that you may find new life and be saved and furthermore reconciled to God that you may spend eternity with him. This is good news. As we approach this week's topic, I have said over the past several weeks, I honestly, I thought that love and forgiveness were going to be dramatically the death of me speaking, um, but bear with one another actually has become much more difficult than I ever anticipated. So if you have a Bible with you this morning, would you turn your attention to Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 5, Galatians 6, 1 through 5, we'll read these and then I will pray for God's help. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness, keeping watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. I'm going to read 4 and 5. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each one will have to bear his own load. Would you pray with me? Our God and gracious King, we come before you thankful for a moment to turn our attention to your word, for in it we find life, we find truth, we find direction. We praise you, God, for your word, and in this hour, we ask that by your spirit, you would instruct us and teach us, Father, that through the teaching of your word this morning and the work of your spirit in our lives, you would further conform us to the image of your beloved son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, that we would reflect your glory to the world around us in a greater way, that we would have a clearer understanding of the gospel and live it and share it. Father, I pray this morning that in the preaching of your word, the sinner would be humbled to repentance and salvation. I pray, Father, that the holiness of your people would be promoted. And I pray it is my deep desire that Christ our Savior would be exalted. It is in his name that we pray. Amen. The title on the screen may appear peculiar to the person taking notes. One another, bear with there are two verses that specifically speak to bearing with one another. One of them simply here in verse 2 of chapter 6 in Galatians says, bear one another's burdens. And another verse that we'll look at in a little while says to bear with, to be bearing with one another. So uh, hence the bracket there for you. Bear with one another. Through the sermon today, I long for us to grab a hold of this one point. Bearing one another's burdens means carrying the sin weakness of each other. 
bearing one another's burdens means to carry the sin weakness found in one another. Everybody thought when we read Galatians 6 verse 2, I promise, because I thought it myself, and not that you all think like me, but how ingrained it has been that bearing one another's burdens simply means, would you run out and get groceries for the widow Jones? Would you help put a deck on? Would you serve? Would you do? Would you bear? I was thankful this week for a brother in Christ who helped bear my burden and helped me change brakes on my car. All of us run to those tasks that we need help with. But I submit to you and through my study, I am convinced that the greatest task we need help with is bearing our sin weakness. The fundamental challenge of bearing with one another is to carry the sin weakness of others. Now for some context. Galatians chapter 6 verse 1 says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watching yourself, lest you be tempted. This is the verse that precedes bear one another's burdens. So if we take Galatians 6 verse 2 and simply apply it to those daily tasks that we need help with or those momentary situations in life that we cannot handle on our own, we miss where the Holy Spirit inspired the Apostle Paul to place bear one another's burdens. Immediately after, if anyone is caught in any transgression. Now, I will submit that bear one another's burdens does also mean helping with those things day to day that we need help with in our lives. When a family experiences a tragic death, when they joyfully welcome a child, when a major surgery or sickness puts people out of commission and they need help, they need their grass mowed, they need groceries brought to them, absolutely, we are to do those things for one another. That is serving one another. If we stop there, though, if we never consider that bearing one another's burdens is fundamentally helping to carry the sin weakness of others, we're missing out on a great blessing from God who's called us into this life with one another. If anyone, the scripture says, if anyone is caught, I want to stop here briefly. This is not like if anyone is caught red-handed. This is not if anyone is caught with their hand in the cookie jar. Like, oh, I gotta tell you, I saw Joe. Joe was in sin. I caught him. No, 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 no. Maybe, but no. Moreover, this is if anyone is entangled in, if anyone is held up by, if anyone is unable to escape some sin weakness in their life, it's a better way to think about this. If anyone is caught, how many of us have walked around saying, I didn't catch anybody today. There's no one for me to restore. I didn't catch anybody in sin. I... I can't fulfill the law of Christ because I didn't see anyone sinning. Exactly right. Exactly right, because how private is our sin? Which is why the call to bear one another's sin weakness becomes so much more of a challenge. We don't know the sin weakness of other people. Not red-handed, not in the act, more entangled in, caught up in. The King James says, I like this, overtaken in a fault. The Christian Standard Bible, I would think there are not many of that translation in the room, but I like the way it's worded. The CSB says, overtaken in any wrongdoing. It gives that idea and that sense of, I cannot escape this sin struggle that is present in my life. If anyone is caught, you know what I like about anyone? Anyone. I can't quite draw around myself. Anyone. 
brothers, if anyone. You know what this says? We all struggle with. If God's word is warning that if anyone, it's saying we all struggle with. If anyone is caught in any transgression. If anyone is caught. I love in any transgression. No definition, no qualifier. Any. If anyone is caught in any transgression, when I observe you, when you observe me, when our sin weakness is our inability to obey the commands of God, we are caught in transgression. And the Bible says, if anyone is caught in any transgression, any violation of God's command, you who are spiritual should restore him. That's a peculiar phrase. You who are spiritual should restore. Notice that it doesn't say you who are pastors should restore them. Notice that it doesn't say you who are deacons or Sunday school teachers. Notice it doesn't give, if, if you are a, a, a bishop or a reverend, if you bury most holy of titles, it says you who are spiritual. Why? Because if anyone can be caught in a transgression, then it needs to be anyone who is redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ's responsibility to help restore and bring the brother or sister out of the transgression. Anyone. If anyone is caught in any, in any transgression, you who are spiritual, you who are redeemed, you who have faith in Jesus Christ, you who are living a life of repentance toward God and a faith in Jesus Christ should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. You who are spiritual should restore him. I love that word, restore him. Not cast out, not run down, not put under your hand, not write off. How often do we do it? How often am I so guilty? They're caught in a transgression. They're caught in a sin. I don't know what to do. What should I do? Restore a brother. Restore a sister. If anyone is caught in any transgression, you who bear the name Jesus Christ, should restore him, restore him. That thought restore comes with the idea of building up, not demeaning. How guilty am I? If anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him. I'm gonna tell you right now, I'm gonna restore him. I'll restore him good and right, right? How often is this our attitude? We get so judgy so quickly that we become harsh. Did you catch the end of the verse? End of the stanza, whatever we want to say. If anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. How often... If anyone is caught in a sin weakness, how often first do we not seek to restore? How often do we seek to demean, to run down, to judge inaccurately, too quickly, harshly? We'll deal with that in a little while. In a spirit of gentleness. 1 Corinthians 16, 14 says, let all you do be done in love. Let all that you do be done in love. If someone is caught in any transgression, your first act is not to judge their sin, it's to love them. Now, sin has to be called out. We can't leave sin alone. There, trust me, if you want to find a church that leaves sin alone, take your pick. They're out there. But if you're going to find a healthy church, you're going to find a church that's not going to leave sin alone and not going to make you feel comfortable if you are a sinner. 
The church is not a place where sinners should feel comfortable. It's where we should encounter the holiness of God and be convicted of our sin and repent and obey the word or flee, which is quite often what many do. 1 Corinthians says, let all you do be done in love. Matthew 18, 15 says, you have gained your brother. If you go to your brother, you point out their fault, they repent, you've gained your brother. Jesus taught in Matthew 18, when you go to your brother, if he listens, you should restore, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. But how do we know? If they'll listen, they may not. They may not listen. And Jesus says, if they won't listen, if they won't be restored in a spirit of gentleness, if they won't repent when confronted, there are further steps to take. In fact, further steps to take up to and including potentially asking them to leave the community that you are bound together in. Potentially saying, brother, sister, your refusal to repent and to honor God's word has left us no other opportunity or course of action but to say, we find you outside of this community and an imposter in what you proclaim. Well, that sounds fun, huh? We're all jumping up and down to get those actions carried out in the church. But that's what God's word teaches. The compelling community that Christ has created is to be watched carefully the membership is to be overseen by all of the members. And if it is out of line and will not conform to the word of Scripture, I want to be very clear, not to my preference, not to your preference. If a person will not conform to the word of God, our only understanding is that their profession of faith is not genuine. They are an imposter and they must go. They're still welcome to come in the doors, but you're outside. You're those who are defined in Ephesians 3, 11 through 12 as separated from Christ, alienated from the people of God, strangers to the covenant, strangers to the promise, without hope and without God. You're here. You have the appearance of godliness, but you're denying the power of God by refusing to repent of sin and live a holy life. The entry-level function of bearing one another's burdens means helping to carry someone's sin weakness. Whose sin weakness should I carry? Here, I'll help you. Start with me. Weakened by sin in this body of death. Pastor, how can I help you? How can I pray for you? What can I do? I'll, you can start right here with me. Don't look to your neighbor and try and figure it out. Start right here. I'll come to you gladly and ask how I can help carry your sin. What, what is the sin weakness you have? This is so foreign. What do we do? Oh, well, first, let's consider our example in Jesus Christ. He is our ultimate example in all things, right? If Christ has saved us by his blood, and if Christ has brought us into his community, then we are to emulate and follow the king that we are saying has saved us. If we profess faith in Jesus, he must be our example. So let's consider his example in bearing our sin weakness. I started this week's message with that quote from 1 Timothy 1.15. Maybe you didn't pay attention at that exact moment, but it says, it is a trustworthy statement deserving of full acceptance that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. Jesus Christ came to carry the sin weakness of his people, the sin burden, if you will, of his people to the cross. 
We opened our service this morning with Isaiah 53, an Old Testament reference to, has Christ done this? If we are to emulate Christ, has he done this? Do we see this? I want to highlight from one Old Testament passage, Isaiah 53. Listen to these words that are found in several of the verses of Isaiah 53. Verse 4, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Verse 5, he was crushed for our iniquities. Verse 6, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Verse 10, it was the will of God to crush him. Verse 12, he bore the sin of many. Did you catch those words? Born, B-O-R-N-E, born. It has been laid on him. Christ was bearing our griefs and our sorrows, crushed. I can't imagine. I've heard it said all my life. It's almost become cliche to me. Shame on me. I cannot imagine the weight of sinful man being placed on Christ, the Savior. I know how wretched I am. I know the weight of my own sin. And I'm only one person. What about you? What about those in the room? What about all those that God came to save in his death on the cross? God the Son, Jesus Christ, crushed him, laid on him, bore him. Isaiah the prophet is so rejected by Jews following Judaism. How dare you read that? We don't want to have anything to do with that. Do you know why? Because it is so offensive. We are so sinful And the work of Christ in saving us and dying on the cross was the work of bearing our sin. Isaiah clearly seeing Christ carrying man's sin burden. It's not just a weakness. It's the word I used because it rolled off the tip of my tongue as I was putting notes on paper. It's a burden. The Bible calls sin a bond. Pilgrim's Progress is probably the greatest illustration that I can think of it, written in the late 1600s by Paul Bunyan, when he talks about Christian Pilgrim and the weight he can't get rid of. What will I do to get rid of this? How will I get rid of this? I can't stand up under the weight of this bond. No one else could see it, but Christian Pilgrim knew it was there, and he knew he needed relief from it. And Christ is that relief. New Testament, Christ himself, Matthew 11, verse 28. Come to me. All you who are weary and heavy laden or burdened, and I will give you rest. Now, if you, like me, enjoy taking that verse out of context, you run to the Lord Jesus Christ in a week that's full of busyness and you're way behind and you've got anxiety over, will the sermon actually be ready for Sunday morning or not? I don't know. We do that. And praise God that First Peter tells us that you can cast all of your anxieties on him for he cares for you. So there is room for us to understand that we can go to God and say, I don't know how I'm going to get through. I don't understand how this is going to work, Lord. But here in Matthew eleven twenty-eight, 28, Christ says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, burdened, and I will give you rest. How? How can this man called Christ give us rest from our burden? By taking the burden off of you and what? Placing it on himself. Christ came to save sinners. Saving sinners meant carrying the sin burden that sinners are under. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. For our sake, God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin so that in Christ 
we might, I underlined it, become the righteousness of God. Under the burden of sin, we are not able to be righteous before God. We needed help in being righteous. And so God, pleased to crush the eternal Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus willing to take that on, agreeing, saying, I will bear their burden, takes on our burden, becomes righteous, it becomes sin for us that we might become righteousness. How crazy is that? Christ took your sin so that you could be righteous because without him doing so, you could not. You could not. If your sin burden was not carried for you, you could not become righteous. Galatians 3 verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Pastor, I've heard that verse before. What does it mean? It means that Jesus paid the wages of sin. Because you paying the wages of sin is what you deserved. But Jesus Christ paying the wages of sin was not what he deserved. Pure, perfect, spotless, without sin, yet bearing the weight and guilt and full wrath. Man, the thought. You ever read the book of Revelation? Have you ever read it and looked at all of the destruction and the wrath and the judgment that is being poured out throughout the book of Revelation? Like, it's okay. You can say, Pastor, I don't understand it most of the time. That's okay, because I'm going to tell you I don't understand it most of the time either. But I understand that there's a lot of judgment happening. And you know what I like to picture? A pastor friend of mine brought this to mind once, and I've just never let go of this illustration in my head. Everything that we read about throughout Revelation that just sounds so utterly terrible that we don't want to see. Praise God for faith in Jesus Christ. We will escape much. But every ounce of that was poured out on Christ on the cross. When you read Revelation, you are reading about God's full wrath being poured out on man, which he has not yet done. And when he does, it will be dreadful. It will be terrible. And there is the picture of the cross. Christ bearing Not just our sin, but because of our sin. This is why he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As God pours out all of his wrath and all of his judgment and all of the punishment that our sin deserved on Christ on the cross. Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse by becoming a curse for us. Because the law says, cursed is anyone who is hanged on a tree. And here's Christ crucified on a tree, bearing not only our sin burden, but the wrath of God. The cross was a criminal's death. Christ was no criminal, yet he paid that price for you and for me and for all who would believe. Hebrews 9.28 says that Christ was offered once, bearing the sins of many. 1 Peter 2.24, it's interesting to me. Every time I preach through a series, I get some kind of book or verse that I can't let go of. And apparently in this one, I think I've quoted this verse three or four times now throughout this series. 1 Peter 2.24, Jesus bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Christ carried the sin burden of man to the cross in carrying our sin weakness Jesus not only lightened our load. Here's a note for the note takers. It's going to mean something in a minute. Jesus not only lightened our load, he removed it from us and made a way for us to be holy and to live holy lives before God. This is what's accomplished 
in Christ bearing our sin weakness. We see this burden-bearing work in our Savior at every turn throughout the gospel. At every turn, in every recorded encounter with man, more than I could even think of off the top of my head, Christ says to how many over and over, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. Go and sin no more. Your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. Why? Because Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners by taking upon himself the guilt that sinners have. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 and 4, that it was of first importance. His delivery to the church at Corinth, the most important thing he could say out of 16 full chapters, it is of first importance that Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. He carried our sin weakness. This is the gospel. Jesus bearing our sin and his body on the cross. This is what this supper here today is all about. This is why we observe the Lord's Supper to remember the sacrifice of Christ. So Paul says here in Galatians, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ, carrying the sin weakness of others fulfills the command of Christ to love your neighbor. How do I love my neighbor? How do we love one another? What what is involved in me loving people around me? Start with Christians and start with helping to carry their sin weakness. How many of you, just, just think in your own life this past week, how many of you could have really used someone throughout the week saying, I'm praying for you. What struggle and sin and temptation are you going through this week? How can I help you? How can I love you? How can I pray for you? What can I do for you in your struggle against sin in your life this week? I'm willing to wager that for every person with faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, every single one of us could have used that phone call at some point in time this week because we struggle with sin every day. And bearing one another's burdens begins with carrying the sin weakness of others. Keep watch on yourself, Galatians says. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. This is a big note, and I tried to not get angry at my childhood and punch too many people in the face as I thought about it, because, well, that's what the Bible is talking about right here. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. There is a danger in not bearing one another's burdens. A great danger in not bearing and carrying the sin weakness of other people. I grew up understanding this as, don't help someone who struggles with the same sin weakness as you. That's, that's how I was taught, if that helps you at all. If someone else has a sin weakness that you have, don't help them. You can't help them. You're not able to help them because you too struggle in that. I'm sorry to all of those in my childhood that said it. Please forgive me. But I think that what God actually is saying is pray for anyone who is a Christian who struggles with sin, whether it's like yours or not. Now, it may be a very good principle that if you are struggling with something, you should probably find someone who can pray for you and help you who doesn't bear that struggle because they're going to be able to tell you the truth in a way that someone who struggles with your same sin struggle may not tell you. And in my own experience, you may very quickly enable one another in your sin and not help one another. But at the end of the day, if Christians are going to pray for one another over their sin weakness and help to carry one another's burdens, find a Christian that bears faith in Jesus Christ and ask for help. Help, help, please. 
I believe it falls short of what this means here to say that you should only help those who struggle in different ways than you. The danger of not bearing one another's sin weakness is that you may be tempted. Remember that James says temptation is when you are lured and enticed by your own desires. You may be tempted to think that you are better than someone else in their sin struggle. Why does it say keep watch over yourself? Because if you don't, you may be tempted to say, like the tax collector in the gospel that Christ talks about. I'm glad I'm not like that guy. At least I'm not like that guy over there. I got some problems with, whew. Lest you be tempted, keep watch over yourself, lest you too be tempted. Tempted by what? This is not saying, keep watch over yourself if you help a brother who has a sin struggle like you, lest you be tempted. I grew up with this. It's so strange to me now to think about it. You know what it's saying? It's saying to keep watch on yourself because the sin struggle of others is your responsibility to help carry. And if you don't, you may be tempted to think that you are somehow, in some way, better than someone else. And you're not. And neither am I. Praise God for victories. Praise God for his grace. Praise God for seeing sin conquered and defeated. But I'm no better than you in my sin struggles. I don't do that. Whew. Glad I'm not a sinner like they are. Like, what, what, what? what are you saying? We all struggle. Bear one another's burdens. So Galatians 6.3 says, If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. What? Help me figure that out. What does that mean? It means that if you think you're not a sinner, you're deceiving yourself. It's interesting to me. If anyone thinks he is something, if you think you are not a sinner, when you are a sinner, he deceives himself. John writes, 1 John chapter 1, verse 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. I found it interesting. The Apostle Paul, the Apostle John, using the same language on the same thought. When you look out and you see sinners, recognize there you are. They need help, like I need help. I don't want to be tempted to think that I am better than someone. If I'm tempted to think that I'm better than you, I will end up thinking I'm better than you and I'm not. And what will happen? I will have no regard for your sin struggle at all. In fact, the next step becomes, how dare they? What's wrong with that person? They say they're a Christian. Shame on them. Oh, goodness. That's not what this passage teaches us at all about bearing with one another's burdens. We are all sin, weakened, sick people carrying burdens. And when we lose sight of this, we fall into the same need of gentle, spiritual restoration as the brother or sister who is caught in any transgression. So what do we do? How do we do this? The point of setting all of this up is to help us understand there is an application to this verse for us right now in this room and going forward out of this room into the rest of our lives. How do we bear one another's sin weakness. I'm going to work through some references to help you, note takers. I put them on the screen so that you can write them down because I know I watch you all scribbling frantically and I move too quickly. So I put them on the screen. Four quick points for us to consider how to bear one another's weakness. One, be careful in how you judge other people's sin weakness. Be careful in judging someone else's sin. This is an utterly invasive teaching in the church that we are not to judge. Any true student of the Bible knows that is not what the Bible teaches. But it is so invasive. Hey, I'm not their judge. Who am I to judge? Judge not. 
The Bible says judge not. Jesus says don't judge. Who are you to judge me? Right? I mean, I've thought those things about many of you in this room. Who are you to judge me? You've thought those things about me. Who are you to judge me? The reality is we are not taught not to judge. Rather, we are taught to judge carefully. We are taught to judge slowly. Jesus in Matthew chapter 7, the very famous passage, if your brother sins, you would go and point out to them, but how can you do that with the plank in your eye? He's got a speck, you see that brother's fault, but you're going with more than a speck, you've got a plank in your eye. And I always just, I can't help it, but in my mind I always picture some dude walking around with a four by four sticking out of his face. Right? Like, I, had, I was cutting up trees yesterday. We did some tree work last week. I got some sawdust in my eye. That's really irritating, isn't it? Like, it ruins the day. It gets in there, and you're just like, I'm going to need the rest of my life to recover from this little speck of whatever this is in my eye. I want us all to pay attention to this little speck. That is sin. That little speck of whatever it is that gets in your eye and throws everything off for the next four hours, that's your sin. And when you judge someone else's sin improperly, right, the illustration is you have the speck in your eye. You're debilitated for the next hour and a half while you try and flush that out of your eyeball. The illustration is that I would stand there in my absolute arrogance as a human with a four by four sticking out of my face and say, brother, let me help get that piece of thing in your, like, first of all, I'm going to hit you in the head with that four by four before I ever get within arm's reach to get that out of your eyeball. Let me get that little speck of dirt out of your eye. I'll be there in a second. Hang on. Where are you? Don't move. I'll be there. You can't see. You can't see that your own sin is such a major problem. All you can see is the sin in someone else. We're not told not to see the sin in other people. And we really dig into what Christ is saying. We really understand Matthew 7, verse 5. Why don't we take a look at it together really quick? Instead of just taking my word for it, why don't we look at what he says in Matthew 7, verse 5. Matthew chapter 7, the fifth verse. You hypocrite. Oh, Lord, could you take it easy on me, please? You hypocrite. Why? Because you have a major sin problem and all you're worried about is someone else's little sin problem. You hypocrite. You have a beam in your eye and you're worried about a speck of dirt in that person's eye. You hypocrite. What? First, take the log out of your own eye. Deal with your sin. Galatians 6 verse 5 says, each one has his own load to bear. So your sin weakness is not only my responsibility, it is your responsibility also. You must deal with your sin weakness. In fact, no one else can deal with it for you. Christ will take it from you. Christ died to save you from the wages of your sin, but you must deal with it. And I must help you. You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So Jesus doesn't say, don't judge. He says, judge carefully. The Bible is full of Christians' call to judge sin. We are to judge, we are to analyze, we are to help one another with our sin. One of the reasons that Christ-created communities are not compelling is because we are such jerks to one another about our shortcomings. We don't bear, in a spirit of gentleness, 
when someone sins. Brothers and sisters, we've got to do better. God's word calls us to better. We cannot be harsh. We cannot be rash. We must judge. We must be careful. We must help carry the sin weakness of others. Nobody wants, you wonder why people don't fill the churches? Because people in the world look at us and think, man, you guys are jerks. You say you're holy, one of you has a problem, you kick them to the ground and kick them while they're on the ground and you say, come on in, Jesus loves you. Nah, man, I'm good, I'll kick myself, I don't need your help, thanks. We would be more compelling as the people of God if we would love one another in our sin weakness. Which brings me to my next point. One, be careful in judging someone else's sin. How can I help carry the sin weakness of others? I can be careful and slow and deliberate according to the word in how I view your sin. And I must first deal with mine. How do we deal with one another's burdens, sin weakness? Well, we started this series with this thought. A Christ-created community is called to love one another, to be marked by love as Christ loved you. First Peter chapter 4, verse 8. We'll read that verse in just a second. Jesus Christ loved you, may I point out, when you were dead in your sin, while you were sinning, Christ loved you. That's our example. If we are to bear one another's sin weakness, then our example is to love people in their sin. Not distance ourselves. One of the greatest challenges facing the church of the living God is that Christians distance themselves from other Christians when Christians sin. When instead, Christians, when they are in sin, should be wrapped in the arms of their church family saying, I, brother, I will not let you go. I'm going to love you through this. I'm going to love you while you fight this, while you carry this. I'm not letting go of you, my brother. But we do. We do not love one another as Christ loved us. He died for us while we were sinners. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Why do we need to grab a hold of that? Love covers a multitude of sins. The more that I am drawn in affection through faith in Christ to you, my brothers and sisters, do you know what that means? Love covers a multitude of sins. It means that my petty little grievances with your personality are going to fade into the light of a magnificent God. How many of the differences that we experience between one another as Christians come down to such petty, little, pathetic differences? And God says, let love cover those. I didn't redeem you by my blood so that you could say, take your hat off, wipe your shoes, change your clothes, don't say this, don't go there, don't do that. I died for you that you might embrace one another and forget the petty differences. Good heavens. Be careful in judging someone's sin. Love one another deeply. Be forgiving when a brother or sister sins against you or at all. Colossians chapter 3. Pastor, are you going to wrap this up? Yes, I will wrap it up just as soon as we start living what God's word tells us to live. Be forgiving when a brother or sister in their sin weakness sins against you because you will. One of the greatest challenges for us in our sin weakness is that when somebody sins against us, we're so offended by it. But the word of God is so clear. Brothers, sisters, you're going to sin against one another. And when you do, 
be forgiving of one another. Is this just a recap of all the previous one another commands? I mean, kind of, because if we're not getting love one another, forgive one another, and pray for one another, we're not going to get to bear with one another. We're not going to know how to bear with one another's burdens. Be forgiving. Colossians 3.13. I love this. If you're looking for something to read in God's word this week, Colossians 3. Verse 13 says, bearing with one another. I want to show you something. Do some grammatical work with me, which is really hard in ancient texts, but verse 12, put on then, verse 10, look back at verse 10, put on the new self. There's a change that happens for those that profess faith in Jesus Christ. You go from an old, dead, sinful, sinning person to a new creation. You take off the old clothes, you put on the new clothes. Verse 12, put on then, Verse 13, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive. This demands our responsibility to forgive. If someone sins against you, you must forgive them. How do I bear your sin weakness? I forgive you. Not pulling up the abrasive position of I'll forgive you when you come to me. I forgive you. Because I'm helping to carry your sin weakness, I forgive you for this offense against, against me. I forgive you for offending a holy God in front of me. I forgive you. I'm convinced the more we bear with one another's burdens, the less complaining there will be against one another. If any has complaint against another, forgiving each other. You have a complaint? Do you have a complaint against me? If I have a complaint against you, we're directed by God's word to forgive one another. Not complain. Could you imagine? In all my life in the church, I'm 42, I've only ever watched Christians complain about each other. That's why Christ-created communities are not compelling, because we complain about everything. Just love, pray, forgive, emulate the Savior who saved you. Talk about reflecting Christ. We will be more compelling as a community of Christians when offense is forgiven and not held against and used as shame over the head of a brother or sister. Lastly, pray for one another. A simple reminder since I taught on it all last week. James 5.16 says, Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. I have no greater way of knowing your sin weakness. I have no greater way of carrying your sin weakness than for you to tell me and me to pray. There's, no, there's nothing greater we can do for one another. Brother, sister, how are you struggling? What is your weakness? What is your burden? What are you going through? Let me pray. Let me pray for you. What a privilege. Think about it this way. We often think of prayer as a burden. Instead, prayer is the opportunity for us to go before God's throne on behalf of another person. The throne of grace, Hebrews says, where we may find grace and receive mercy to help. Are you bearing one another's burdens? I pray that today was a perspective shift in what it means to bear one another's burdens, to carry the sin weakness of others. Loving, forgiving, praying for, in coming weeks we'll look at encouraging and serving one another. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Thank you for joining us this week. If you have any questions about anything you just heard or if we can pray for you, please contact us at info at the Until next time, stay in God's word.